Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and each cried out. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Jonah began to go into the city, and the people of Nineveh believed God. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east, till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah, a fishy tale about a faithful God. All right, how we doing? Good. You glad to be in church today? It's good. It's good to see you all back. And uh, a huge welcome back to our South Campus. You guys made it to 2017. That's awesome. And uh, we are really, really excited about that. Uh, we have just wrapped up what was a pretty crazy fall at Crosspoint. And God has been so good, and it has been a wild ride. And uh, we are entering into 2017 with an awful lot of expectancy and excitement and uh, just really looking forward to see what God has for us. Uh, maybe you're here tonight. Maybe it is your first time ever at Crosspoint. Maybe it was a New Year's resolution. Going to go back to church. Uh, or maybe uh, you found out about us at C4 through our Christmas event, or maybe you've been here for 38 years, whatever the case. Whatever brought you through the door tonight, we're really glad that you guys are here, and we're excited to start a brand new series uh, with us. Do you remember, maybe some of you are living it now, but do you remember being in high school, and your teacher would hand you these really simple books, and, and then come to find out they actually had like way more depth and meaning to them than you thought? I remember reading Animal Farm and thinking like, oh, this is a book about talking animals. Neat. Well, that's, that's a cool idea. And our teacher is like, this is really a symbolic and satirical look at the Russian Revolution and the class wars that evolved through that. And we're like, what? You got all that from a talking pig? And did we read the same book? That's crazy. Uh, I remember we, we just got fed up with Lord of the Flies. We were in grade 10. And uh, yeah, see? The groans. And... Uh, Anyway, we just got done, and our grade 10 teacher, she just lost it. And I remember the day she was like, the Lord of the Flies is the physical manifestation of pure evil that exists in the heart of every man. And we're all just sitting in our chairs like, whoa, you have lost it. And then we were like, oh, yeah, that is what it's about. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> Who would have thunk? Kids on an island. Sometimes a really simple story actually tells a much deeper, bigger story. That is what we're doing for the next month. We're going to look at a really short, a relatively simple story of Jonah. It only covers four chapters in all of the Bible. It's four weeks. We're going to go through a chapter a week. But a lot of us, even if you're not churched, a lot of us would at least have vague familiarity. Like, oh, Jonah, the, the story about the fish. And kind of what we want to unpack for the next four weeks is that this is a story that is about way, way more than a fish. That is one part of one chapter of the story, uh, but there's, there's a lot to Jonah. 
And so we're going to hop right in. We have a full chapter to cover today. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, you can look up Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And today I want to talk about running away. Starts in verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. All right, so Jonah, as kind of his job, is a prophet. And a prophet, we kind of misuse that word nowadays. A prophet is not someone who looks into a crystal ball and, like, foresees the future. A prophet was simply someone who got a message from God and delivered it to other people. So all through the Old Testament, you see a ton of prophets, the major prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, the minor prophets, all the crazy named ones that you hardly ever read, and Nahum and Habakkuk, and all these kind of crazy stories. They're all prophets, and and major, minor, not meaning more or less important, just longer or shorter messages. Jonah was one of these guys. He was a prophet. He was given a word, he was given an assignment, go to this town, say these words to these people, I am God. And Jonah doesn't. What would make a man of God run from God? Like, isn't that your job? Isn't that what you're supposed to be doing? And he doesn't. And so we need to dig in a little bit, like, why wouldn't you? Now, admittedly, this particular assignment doesn't sound super fun. Why don't you go tell a whole bunch of strangers that what they're doing is wrong. Just go tell a bunch of people that they're bad. Right? That's not, we don't really like to do, actually, we love telling people they're wrong. We just do it, like, behind their back or on the internet. But when it comes to -to face-to-face confrontation, to go up to someone that you don't know and say, listen, the way you're living and what you believe, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. I I know the right way. Right? It's a little awkward. It's really not one of our favorite things to do. And God is telling him, like, go into the center of the city and announce my judgment. Go to the neighborhoods, go to the shopping malls, go to the hockey rinks, and go tell these people that they're wicked and announce my judgment. So I can see kind of instantly why that might seem a little bit awkward. Might not be something you would want to sign up for. But, But his decision was even bigger than that is because Nineveh, wasn't really the most pleasant place. Nineveh came with a reputation. Nineveh was a a, a huge city. It had 600,000 people in it, which today is not a big city, Uh, but this was 700 BC. This was like 2% of the world's population in Nineveh. It was a really big city. And um, the people who lived there, what mattered most to Jonah is that they weren't God's people. They weren't Israelites. They weren't his people. They were Assyrians. They were his arch rivals. These were his most hated enemies. This was his, like, nemesis is. I don't know the plural. They're sworn enemies. Like, like Israelites and Assyrians, they were just, it's, it's like, if you had Jedi Jonah, it's like, why don't you go plant a church in the Death Star? That's the equivalent. Why don't you join the hobbits, go to Mordor, and have special services? Have revival services at Mordor. Right? Like, who's signing up for that? Like, no, I'm not going to go into the center of of this city full of people that I hate 
and, and give them this sermon from God. It's, not, it's just not going to happen. They hated each other. In fact, Nineveh's talked about in other places in the Bible, uh, speaking of the book of Nahum, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, What sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies? Like, that's a great tagline for their website. Visit Nineveh, city of murder and lies, right? Like, goes on to say in verse 3, there are countless casualties, heaps of bodies, so many bodies that, that people stumble over them. I've never been in an environment where I was just stumbling over bodies. It's, it's never, I've driven through Devon at midnight. I've never tripped over a corpse, never once in my life. I, what's the rough part of Fredericton? I have no idea. Um, so this was Nineveh. I don't, if any of you read the message paraphrase, it actually refers to Nineveh as murder city. It just calls it, welcome to murder city. So no one wants to be the tourism minister at Nineveh. This is a hard spot full of bad people doing awful things. And God's like, you should go tell them my judgment is coming. So we're starting to see a little bit why Jonah wouldn't want to be in on this. I think this is a great reminder for all of us tonight that God asks us to do hard things. God asks us to do hard things. God will call you to unsafe places. God will give you difficult assignments. Not everything that God asks you to do will be something that you want to do. Right? I think we get that backwards sometimes. I think we're always convinced that because God is for me, everything's just going to go wonderfully. And we love to quote verses like, God will give you the desires of your hearts. And I know the plans that he has for me, plans to give me hope and a future. Jesus came to give me abundant life. This all sounds like a party. This is going to be so much fun. Jonah would like to have a word with you. God will ask you to do difficult things. That's just part of following Jesus. You will get those assignments. Now, does that mean that he doesn't offer abundant life? Does it mean that, that his future for us is not good and, and not for us? No, abs absolutely. Let's just see, usually what we think is good and what God thinks is good, those are different. Or they at least happen on different timelines. A lot of times you don't know that what you're going through is good until it's over and you look back on it and you're like, oh, I see how God used that for my good. It didn't seem like it at the time. Sometimes you can be in the middle of a good plan thinking this is a bad plan. But if you're doing what God wants you to do, it's still good. It's still good. It just might not seem good to you at the time. We, we don't see how it was good until later. And so Jonah gets one of these missions from God. Go do this hard thing. And he responds in a way that many of us would have been tempted to, or maybe we have. Verse 3, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And when the Bible says opposite, it means opposite. If you were to look at a map, Tarshish and Nineveh are like complete opposite sides. Like one's way on the left, one's way, way on the right. You couldn't get more opposite. I actually, I plugged it into Google Maps to find out how many kilometers difference it was. And I, I, I typed in Nineveh. I was like, no, Google Maps isn't up to date for 700 BC. It didn't didn't tell me where that was. Fun fact, there's a Nineveh in Nova Scotia. <laughs> True story. You can visit later. 
complete and utter opposite direction. In fact, Tarshish was at the very edge of what they thought the world was. Like the world doesn't extend much beyond where Tarshish was. It was the edge of the planet. He was running as far away as he could in the opposite direction. And I don't know, maybe you've done that. Maybe you've gotten a, a plan or a question or a request and your immediate thought was, no, I'm going the other way. I, I, I would rather do anything else. I would rather go anywhere else than what God is asking me to do right now. Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's a relationship that you were in and it was just fun. Everything was going great. And then she was like, we should get married. And you're like, nope. And you're just gone. Uh, maybe some of you, you've got a bunch of kids and you thought you were done and your spouse is like, we should have another child. And you're like, nope. And you're off to the doctor's office, right? Like just opposite <laughs> direction entirely. Maybe it was a job change. You were happy with where you were and, and you got this opportunity or someone gave you an opportunity and you're like, I really, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to do that. In fact, I've known people who did the exact opposite and every two years they switch jobs. It's easier to go to another city and do another job than it would be to stay and do a hard thing. We are good at running away. We are good at going in the opposite direction. I have totally been there. I remember when I graduated Bible college, uh, Liz and I, we had our plan. It was set. We were going to move to the States. It was going to be warmer. We were going to make American money to pay off Canadian debt. I was going to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. I even said to the district superintendent at my ordination meeting, I will never be a lead pastor. And then you fast forward just a few years, and I still live in New Brunswick in January, making that Canadian money, totally done with youth ministry after like four years, and my office door says I'm a lead pastor. If it had been up to 24-year-old Mark, this is not the plan I would have written. If 24-year-old Mark had found out, no, this is where you will be and this is what you will be doing, I would have gone in the complete and utter opposite direction. Where is the next boat to Tarshish? Because I'm out. In fact, there have been times in the middle of it where I thought, where is a boat to Tarshish? Because I'm out. And I know I'm not the only one, I'm, I'm sure some of you have been there before, where you look back and you thought, if I had have got my own way, it would have been a disaster. If I had have followed my own plan, I would not be where God wants me to be. But being here in the middle of it all now, you can see God's hand at where you couldn't pay me enough to be a youth pastor. I'm never moving to America. <laughs> and I'm incredible, don't say that, yeah. And I'm incredibly blessed to be here in the middle of what God is doing right now. What an unbelievable, exciting privilege. Yeah. Um, my definition of good and God's definition of good were very different. What I wanted and what he wanted was very different. My plans and his plans were very different. And see, even though sometimes our response would be, I'm getting as far away from what you want me to do as possible, you will find out that you will never be more satisfied than when you are in the middle of what he wants you to be doing. Obedience to a hard thing is still easier than disobedience. It might not seem like it right away. 
but it will eventually feel that way. Obedience to a hard thing is still better than disobedience. When you run in the wrong direction, you won't get to the right places. When you keep running in the wrong direction, you won't get to the right things. Don't run from his plans. Walk into the middle of his plans with your head up, with your heart full of courage and faith and hope, and see what he's got for you. Don't run. Notice in verse 3, it even says, he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. It's not even that he's running from his assignment. It's not that he's running away from his job. He actually just wants to get away from God in general. Some other translations have it written as he wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. Which, when you think about it, that's, that's a pretty foolish thing. To think that you could run away from the presence of the Lord. Lots of people have tried in the Bible. Adam and Eve. They eat the fruit. They realize, we have done a bad thing. They immediately get out their sewing machine. And then what do they do? They hide. Genesis says they, they try to hide from the presence of the Lord. And God humors them. He shows up. He's like, where are you guys? As if he doesn't know. David does the same thing, messes up big time, and he writes these words in Psalm 139. He writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You cannot hide from the presence of God. You cannot outrun your calling. And what it is he's asking you to do, he will do. He'll eventually do what he's going to do. God is sovereign and perfect and almighty. Don't assume that your little act of disobedience will somehow mess up all of God's plans. You can't outrun the call of God on your life. You can get on a boat to Tarshish. You can change jobs. You can change countries. You can change partners. You can whatever you want to do, but you cannot escape the presence of God. And here's what happens to Jonah, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. All this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So what happens when you run from God? Well, usually things are going to get harder. That, that's usually what... It might not seem like it right away. He was having a nap. He didn't necessarily know that it was harder, but he was about to wake up and discover that it was going to be harder. All right, God gives us free will. God still lets us make our own decisions. He let Jonah get all the way down to Joppa. He lets him buy a boat ticket. He lets him get on that boat. He lets them get out into the middle of the ocean. He not once decides to intercede. As far as we know, he doesn't send any Jonah. Any. He just lets him go do it. All right, fine, man. You can make up your own decision, but heads up, I am the sovereign God of the world, and what I want done is going to happen. I will still do exactly what I intend to do. Jonah thought Nineveh was going to be hard. He thought a boat was going to be easy. And we do that, don't we? I think it'd be way easier to go the opposite way and do this thing, and we hop aboard our little boats to Tarshish, and then we wonder why storms follow us everywhere we go. And I don't know, maybe if, if you're here tonight and you are living just this storm-filled life, it is just nonstop, just comes at you all the time, might I suggest that you stop and ask yourself, am I living in disobedience right now? Am I running from God's call on my life? Right? Am, is there something in my life that I have 
chosen to not really pay attention to. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that every bad thing that's going on in your life is because you're outside the will of God. You can obey God and life can still be hard. But it's also true that you reap what you sow. It's also true that God won't honor disobedience. He honors obedience. It's also true that God won't honor when people run away from his calling, but they'll honor when you obey. God, God can only do so much with people who choose to not follow him. He does not reward fear. He does not reward cowardice. So he will let you disobey, but he won't bless it. So if you're living that hard life full of storms, wondering why, where is your blessing? Why aren't my prayers getting answered? What's going on? Is there something that you're running from? Jonah looked at God and was like, no, nah, I'm good, thanks. And he let him make that decision. But if that's where you're at today, I would suggest stop running. Stop hoping he'll leave you alone. Stop wishing that it'll just get better. Don't assume that he may, eventually he'll forget. He'll forget he asked me to do it. It's going to be fine if I just keep saying no. He'll, he'll get off my back. Running in the wrong way won't get you to the right place. Just because God is for you doesn't mean the odds won't ever be against you. Right? You can obey God and it can still seem challenging and hard, but he will get you through it disobedience comes with its own set of rules, and Jonah discovers this. The crew on the boat are not godly people. Uh, we discover that earlier in the book. They don't follow God. They're pagans. They follow other gods. And in fact, they actually ask their gods, why is this happening? Whose fault is this? And, and they, it says they cast lots, which is basically drawn straws or rolling a dice or whatever. But God somehow uses it and, and points to Jonah. They, they roll the dice, and they're like, if it's a four, it's Jonah's fault. And the four rolls, they're all like, you. They know that it was him. Verse 8 says, why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. And then all the questions, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Right, just all these questions, like, what have you done? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Is that not an interesting response? For a guy who said, I'm going to run away from my calling, specifically the calling to tell people who don't know God about God, isn't it weird to now be on a boat telling people who don't know God about your God? Isn't that literally what you ran away from? Isn't that what you didn't want to be doing? But there he is. Just, yeah, no, my God, he's ruler of everything, made the sea and the land. And then, even beyond that, he's aware that he made the sea. Like, my God carved out the land, he filled it with water, can see all of it. How do you think that the God who made the ocean wouldn't find you on a boat in the ocean? Like, did you really think you were going to get away? Like, did, it, isn't it crazy how sometimes you can believe something to be true in your head, but when you live it out, you're like, ah, oh, nah, it's different. You can know something in your head, but still kind of disobey it in your actions. It's like Jonah knew all along who God was. But it didn't stop him from disobeying. It didn't stop him from making a bad decision, which, good reminder that head knowledge doesn't necessarily lead to life action. A lot of people that go to church and have a lot of church knowledge up in their head. And then they do things and you're like, don't you know better? They do. 
We all do. Knowledge doesn't necessarily fix it all the time. So it's kind of like when he says that, yeah, my God made the sea. It's almost like something clicks in his head. He's like, I've done a bad thing. This is, I should not have done this. This is not going to go well for me. So verse 10 says, the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Have you ever done something horribly foolish and, and just full regret, regret and all your friends come gather around and you think they're going to console you? You, you think they're going to pat you on the back and make things better? And they're like, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? You're just foolish. Anyone have those friends? Some of you apparently have friends with compassion, full of grace. Some of us have friends who do lack those things. Some of us are that friend. I'm that friend who compassion is not the highest on my spiritual gifts test. And sometimes my kids will come to me after they did something I told them not to. And they'll be like, Dad, I hurt myself doing this thing. I broke that thing because I did the thing you said. I spilled things all over and I know I wasn't supposed to. And, and they, you know, they want Dad to, like, if I cry real hard and, and repent real good, then, and I'm just like, why did you do that? What were you thinking? I told you. And then my wife comes along and hugs them. And she's like, okay, let's calm down. I'm like, right, hugs. Start with hugs. Okay. <laughs> I'll go in and hug them and then be like, why did you do that? What were you thinking? We're like that sometimes. And we have friends that are like that sometimes. But I think it's a really good picture and reminder for all of us that you never sin in isolation. You are foolish to think that your sin only affects you. Your sin will drastically affect all of the people around you. They will affect the people in your family. They'll affect your friends. They'll affect whoever you happen to be around at that time. These guys have done nothing wrong. They're boat workers who are on a boat doing their job, completely innocent. They let Jonah come with them, and all of a sudden, they are also in the middle of a terrifying storm. Your sin will affect other people. You don't ever sin in isolation, and they're terrified because of the bad decision of a complete stranger completely Jonah's fault, but they're still dealing with the consequences of it. The same would be true for all of us. Verse 11 goes on and says, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Verse 12 says, throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it'll become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. And so I want to highlight this for a second, because initially, doesn't that sound kind of noble? Like, I know what I've done, just cast me into the ocean and everything will be made right. I'll take the fall for this one. I got you guys. But it's really not noble at all. What this is, is Jonah saying, I would still rather die than go do what I'm supposed to do. Right? He doesn't want to say, you know what, I'm running from God. Let me just go check with God real quick. I bet God's listening and watching right now. He could probably say, all right, you got me. I'll turn around. I'll go to Nineveh. I repent. I was wrong. Let's make her. He doesn't do any of that. He's like, just throw me in the ocean and kill me. He's still stubborn enough to, to want to die more than obey God's calling on his life. It, it is the ultimate selfish act. Jonah is still very much all about Jonah. 
He hasn't even learned anything yet in the middle of this storm. And the men listen to him, and in verse 14, they say, Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they plead, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have seen, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. Do you guys know that there is another story in the Bible about a guy who got on a boat and fell asleep, and then a storm came, comes, and then he calms it? That's, that might remind us of another story. This is from Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed the paparazzi. Verse 37, but soon a fierce storm came up, High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence and be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. There are many times in the book of Jonah that we see a picture of Jesus. This is one of those times. This book is very much about Jesus. It exists to point us to Jesus. In fact, back in verse 14, it says, They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, and they said, What? Oh, Lord, don't make us die for this man's sin. Who, who would die for someone else's sin? That's crazy. You must think we'd be nuts for that to happen. It's another seed planted that someday a man will come and do that very thing. And we see the very last verse of chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside that fish for three days and three nights. Do you guys remember a story about another time when a guy seemed to just kind of die for three days and three nights? Jesus actually quotes Jonah. This is Matthew 12, verse 40. Jesus is talking. And he says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So Jesus is confirming to the people there and to all of us today, Jonah's kind of about me. Jonah is a story that exists to someday point people to me, to tell people about a Messiah, that I am also a guy who can calm storms. I'm also a guy who seemed to die for three days and yet emerged out of that death. And when I did, a whole bunch of people that got saved, which minor spoiler alert, that's really what's about to happen to Nineveh. This is a story that points us directly to Jesus. So remember when we started talking about like animal farm, it's not about a pig. <laughs> this story is not about a fish. This story points us very much to the Savior of all mankind. It's about how God's plans are always perfect, that he always has one, that it's always what's best, and he will see that it always happens in the end. Even when we get in the way, even when we mess up along the way, that he's got a plan, and he will see it through until the very end. So is there any point in running from the Lord? 
Is there any point in thinking that my way would be better, that my plan would get me to where I want to go, that somehow I, I'm smarter and more intelligent? If, if I get on this boat in the ocean, surely I'll be able to hide from the guy who made the ocean. And it seems ridiculous to us, but don't we do that sometimes? God is perfect and sovereign, and he will accomplish, accomplish what he means to accomplish. Will he give us free will all through life? Absolutely. If you disobey, will it hurt? More than likely. And will God still do what he means to do in the end? Yes. So I don't know where some of you are at today. I don't know if some of you are wrestling with a call that you know God has given you and it's big, it's daunting, it's terrifying, and you're thinking, I, I would rather do anything else but this. I hope today that you would be encouraged to walk into it, knowing that what God has for you is best. Even if it's a hard obedience, it will eventually, ultimately, be a better, easier obedience than if you don't follow him. Choose to do what he's asking you to do, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it seems difficult. God's plan is better for you. Some of you might be in the middle of a calling and it's really hard right now and you're tempted to think, this, this can't be what God wanted me to do because it's really difficult right now. You're tempted to think that this, no, I've messed up somewhere along the way. And today I want you to be reminded that obedience can still hurt. Obedience can still be hard. Oftentimes that's when God teaches us the most. It's when he strengthens us the most. You don't grow without pain. And so he calls us to do hard things. He calls us to go to unsafe places. But it's still right and it's still good. And he's still going to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. Maybe you're here today and you're quite certain that you have died and you are in the belly of a fish. And you are thinking, I am too far gone. I have messed up way too hard. There is no turning back from this. And I want you to be reminded today that God is very much a God who brings people back from the dead. He is a God of the resurrection. He is a God that says, as long as you're still here, I've got plans for you. I can still use you. You're never too far gone. I don't care if I called you to Nineveh and you went the complete opposite way to Tarshish. I've got a plan for you. And I'll get you there. And maybe you need to be encouraged in that today. He is a God of second chances. He is a God of 438th chances. And you're never too far gone for God to use you. And so this is, this is always the part of the sermon where I usually have something to say and I'm just... Sometimes I don't know what to say, and I'm just, I always pray, God, when I get to that part where my words stop, I pray that you'd help me out. <laughs> We're there now. Um, and I, I don't actually know how God wants us to close tonight, but we're always confident because the Bible tells us that his word never returns void. So some of you have heard it, and it was for some of you, and some of you need to act on something. Some of you need to pray tonight. Some of you just need to be encouraged tonight. Some of you need to get with your friends and talk about some stuff tonight. And so the band is going to come. We do have one final song, but I don't want you to make the song the closing for you if you've got work to do. I would encourage you that if you need to get together with friends and, and talk and pray, then you can do that. You can come up. These altars are open for you to come up. Do some work. If you're running from a call, come pray for strength tonight. If you're in the middle of a hard call, come pray for strength. If you don't know what to do, if you're worried you went the wrong way, it's whatever it is that's happening in your life that somehow relates to what God said to us tonight, don't, don't just stand up and sing and go home. 
We want this to be a place where God can get some work done. And so come pray, come get your friends to pray, come lay some stuff on the altar. Hard obedience is still way better than disobedience. And so be encouraged in that tonight. May God speak to us tonight. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will move in your lives tonight as we sing.